Welcome to Becoming Your Greatest Possible Self. I am Chris Burns, America's number one motivational speaker for fiery inspiration and GPS coach for entrepreneurs and high achievers. Each episode, we interview leaders and great role models who make a massive impact in the world to help you master yourself, take courageous action, and make every day your best day ever. Russell Kennedy is about to amp up your life to be freed up from anxiety uh, with some really simple, easy strategies and just the knowledge that you may not have applied to be able to free yourself and, and create that ease, create that peace. So stick around. It's going to be an amazing interview. Before we dive into that, I'm talking to you because you're becoming your greatest possible self. You're plugged in here to this podcast, to this YouTube, to this video, audio, whatever, however you are listening to this. I want to say thank you for being here and whatever other steps you are taking. If you got morning routines that you're doing, if you're investing in coaching, seminars, events, your own personal, professional growth, keep it up, okay? Keep showing up. Keep taking the steps. I'm proud of you. Next up is the iTunes review of the week. And this week, it's by C.A. Cleary. C.A. Cleary says, valuable and entertaining content. It's obvious that Chris really cares about becoming his best self and helping others to do the same. He listens well, asks thoughtful questions, and highlights action steps his audience can take for personal and professional development. His energy and enthusiasm make his interviews not only interesting, but enjoyable to listen to. Thank you so much, C.A. Cleary. I appreciate you for that review. If you want to give us a iTunes review, get an opportunity to get shouted out all day long on the next or a future 12-hour live stream, go to BeYourGPS.com forward slash iTunes or search Greatest Possible Self on the Apple Podcast Store, and you can leave us a review. Let us know what you love, what you want to see more of, and how we can improve this show for you, and you will get that opportunity to get shouted out on a future 12-hour live stream. So thanks for being here. I'm going to introduce Russell in just a sec. Before that, grab a piece of paper, grab a pen. I have a feeling this is going to be some practical stuff that you can implement right away to give yourself some freedom, some peace, and some true just happiness, lasting happiness. I'm all about that. So let's introduce Russell and we will dive into the interview. Dr. Russell Kennedy is known as the Anxiety MD. He is a neuroscientist and medical doctor who retired early from conventional allopathic medicine to be a medical and psychological intuitive. His superpower is seeing and feeling the true underlying root cause of illness in his patients and clients. Dr. Kennedy has found time and time again that the majority of illness was not based in physical issues, but emotional ones. Dr. Russ helps people clear their emotional barriers to truly connect to themselves, and in that reconnection, his patients regain their mental and physical health. And that is just the tip of the iceberg with this epic human being, Dr. Russell Kennedy. Are you ready to rock the house, sir? I am ready, Chris. Thanks for having me on the show. Absolutely, man. We are going to rock it. I appreciate you being here. Let's dive right into the theme of today, which is the power of progression. Russ, what does that mean for you, man? I think it means knowing yourself, you know, really knowing where your blocks are. You know, I'm a writer as well. So there's times that I sit down to write and especially I do stand up comedy and I've done it for the last like 10 or 15 years. And when I get down, sit down to write, it's like, man, this is really hard. Like to, to sit there and write something funny. But I notice that if I write stuff, 
as soon as I just keep going, then it just starts to flow through me. And, and the other thing is taking the pressure off yourself. Like if I go in there thinking I've got to write something that's funny, Mm. I get blocked. But if I just say I've got to write and I just start, you know, writing on, you know, same sex marriage or I, you know, just any, any topic that comes into mind or being divorced twice, I've been divorced twice, I've been married three times, you know, just that stuff comes out. You know, and then and then and then the humor comes out of that. The humor comes out of the day to day stuff. And it really comes in making an emotional connection with your audience Mm -hmm. and making an emotional connection with yourself. Because so often, you know, we're such a head up society that we don't really feel anything anymore. It's Mm -hmm. all like, what can I get next? What can I do next? How can I be more? And I think a lot of it is just being able to, you know, settle into the feeling. You know, we, we like often we, we talk ourselves out of our feelings and our feelings are just going to get louder and louder and louder. And that's what happens with anxiety is it's, it's your younger self saying, hey, I need some attention here. And if you don't if you don't soothe me, if you don't give me what I need, I'm just going to get louder. And that's mm-hmm. true with depression, OCD, anxiety and just about any kind of physical illness is an energy that just you're not you're not connected to. And if you can't connect to your own energy, you can't move yourself forward. Yeah. Wow. This is so powerful, man. I love it. I want to I wanna share some alignment that I'm seeing. One is my mission is to help people be seen, heard, and loved, right? For, for you, the guest, and for other guests to, to, be, to get your message out so that people can access those solutions. I love to help people launch their own podcasts, create their own platforms. And what I hear is that inner six-year-old, that inner child it just wants validation. That's what we all want. We just all want to be seen, be heard, be loved, and be acknowledged. And so if we're not doing that, then we will create coping mechanisms we will it will build up the tension will build up because we're so much up here trying to live a good life trying to figure it all out rather than just like pausing and tuning into this beautiful state of the art beyond state of the art uh, you know device this this uh, vessel that we've been given and if we do that then all the lan- all the answers will come man yeah but we're not trained to do that in this no. society we're not <laughs> no. we're, we're trained to do the exact opposite we're trained yeah. to want more you know for a long time for me you know in a way becoming a doctor was a coping strategy it was a way because when i was younger my father growing up my father was schizophrenic so i didn't really know what to expect from him and a lot of my friends who have uh, alcoholics or parents and that kind of stuff said the same thing you don't know when you walk in that door what you're going to get so the anxiety kind of built up in me and then after i i got so good at thinking Mm. that, uh, you know, my intelligence went up. So I became a medical doctor and then a yoga and meditation teacher and a stand-up comic and a corporate speaker. But all that was kind of masked to just, you know, hide this underlying insecurity of, of just not being enough. So if I thought that I could be all these things, then everyone would like me, but I wouldn't really like myself. So the more, the more I accomplished mm-hmm. and the better I got at things, the worse I felt because I was just not really being true to myself. So overtly, you could look at me and go, hey, you know, he's a medical doctor. He does stand-up comedy. Um, he's a musician. Like, he's, you know, he seems to have it all. But inside, I was just racked with anxiety because I wasn't being, I wasn't doing it for the reasons of being connected to myself. I was doing it to be connected to other people, which, you know, is fine, provided that you're first connected with yourself. Wow. You know, you, your relationship with other people could only be as good as your relationship with yourself. 
So, so that's what I really had to work on. That's why I left medicine because it was killing my intuitive gifts because Mm -hmm. I was in this allopathic, you know, right medications. And I have no problem with, with allopathic medicine. I think allopathic medicine really gets a bad rap these days, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think people are just having angsty in general. And, and it's just like, it's just one feature. Like, don't, don't go to the hardware store looking for peanut butter. Don't go to your medical doctor. (laughs) Don't go to your medical doctor expecting to get psychotherapy because they're mm. not trained in it. You mm. know, like go to somebody who's a lot more, you know, like a counselor or someone who does that for a living. You know, as medical doctors, we get seven to 10 minutes per patient. So we're not going to be able to do psychotherapy. So don't go to the hardware store expecting to get peanut butter because you're not going to find it there. But what you will get is a good hammer and a good saw <laughs> and, 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 a, and a baseline of, of, you know, these are our health strategies that you know, may not be optimal for you. Like everybody's got to find their own way, but they're another option. You know, they're another option. And I I don't think that they should be put down. I hate when people say doctors are just pawns of pharmaceutical companies. That's all they are. Mm -hmm. Because whenever you have black and white thinking like that, it's a measure of ignorance. Mm -hmm. You know, like doctors have their place. Medical doctors have their place. Naturopaths have their place. Chiropractors have their place. Uh, everyone's got their place. So it's like, don't, don't sort of say, Hey, you know, those medical doctors, all they do is write prescriptions. There was plenty of days in the clinic where I would talk people out of, of, of medication. And the other thing I want to clear up for people in no uncertain terms that we don't make money as doctors prescribing medications to people. Mm. Like we don't get some sort of kickback for giving out Zola. We don't mm. get something back from the pharmaceutical company. Mm. And in my last I think in my last five years of practice, I didn't take a dime from the pharmaceutical companies, like not one thing, because I didn't want to be swayed by them. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I think that, that, you know, just, just looking at doctors as another wing of potential healing, mm-hmm. even though you may not agree with the pharmaceutical model, I don't agree with the pharmaceutical model in a lot of ways, but it has its benefits. You know, it's like, don't just say, oh, all you doctors are the same. And, you know, it's all, you know, it's all, you're all pharmaceutical, you're all pawns of the pharmaceutical companies because we're not, we're not. And, uh, you know, a lot of us, and it's, you know, and that's one of the things that really gets me going. I hear it. (laughs) So easy. It's so easy to, to, because I'm not a huge fan of pharmaceutical model either, but Mm -hmm. I am a big fan of my, my fellow doctors. Yeah. And a lot of the, you know, a lot of the times that I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, a lot of the times medical doctors aren't as good with patients as say naturopaths and chiropractors mm. because naturopaths and chiropractors, they have to bring people in off the street as medical doctors. You know, we have a different mandate. Like people just come to us anyway. Yep. And I, I don't know of anyone, any of my friends or anybody I've talked to who hasn't had a bad experience with a medical doctor, mm. you know, like it's, it's out there for yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, and, and it's rare among sort of, you know, naturopaths, chiropractors, because they, they have that sort of, they need that rapport yeah. because it's a business model for them as well, you know, right. plus they're that kind of people, you know, yeah. they didn't want to go into medicine because it is kind of sterile and, and distant. So, so anyway, when, that's my rant. When on, on your journey, Russell, when did you like start to discover that that model that you had been, you bought into, that you landed yourself into thinking with your head, thinking that it would solve all the problems that you have, um, wanting to belong to, to other people and be connected with other people, but not really feeling connected to yourself. What were some of the biggest milestones that happened for you to shift that and create more freedom, more peace and be, be more anxiety free? Well, I think it was leaving medicine too, because I, I, you know, I, I was connected to people, but I was connected within that role. Mm-hmm. So I was, you know, as the physician, you're kind of in that room, like Jerry Seinfeld has that bit, 
you know, pants always beat no pants. You know, like if you're if you're the patient, you don't have any pants on and I'm the doctor and I have pants on, I have the power, right? So I think a lot of it was sort of a waning sense of power that I felt when I was younger. So I had this power as a physician. Um, and I was comfortable in that role, you know, like if you came to see me as a patient, you know, I would get the respect from you and that kind of stuff. But it wasn't a real human, genuine person to person interaction. Right. I was interacting as that role as a physician. And when I got out of that role, my intuitive gift started to come to me a lot more. And I just thought, you know, I, I can't keep doing this. And, and my anxiety as the longer I went as a medical doctor, the more my anxiety went up. So it was like, I really had to kind of leave this this bastion of safe what i perceived was safety but really was just dragging me under all yeah. the time yeah. you know it just wasn't me it wasn't me to be in that role i like connecting with people on a real one-to-one -one basis and i wasn't able to do it within that role as a physician yeah it's like the i think there's some phrase that like the monster that you know is better than the the monster that the devil you, you know yeah, yeah the devil yeah. you know yeah and yeah. that's true and that's true with anxiety too because people will go, we, we create these intrusive thoughts with anxiety, and they have to be intrusive, they have to be huge, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to pull you away from that feeling in your gut, or your heart, that you're not being consistent to yourself. So what the brain does to try and protect you from from feeling that feeling, is it puts you up into your head, it makes you overthink. Mm -hmm. And the worse the possible scenarios are in your mind, the worse the thoughts are, the more intense the thoughts are, the more likely they're going to keep you up in your head. Because if the thoughts were kind of just, you know, plain and ordinary, like, oh, you know, you might have, you know, you might get hit by a car today. Oh, okay, big deal. But if so, if, but if a thought is, you probably have cancer, mm. uh, you know, you're going to pay attention to that. And it's going to keep you stuck in your head, where really what it's asking you for is what you were saying earlier. That, that younger part of yourself just wants to be seen, heard, and loved. And until you connect with that part of yourself and you see that, that part and you hear that part and you love that part, the anxiety is just going to get louder and louder and louder. And it's very seductive. Like it's very seductive. And that's why anxiety is, you know, the, the huge problem it is and it's only getting worse. So at what point did you did you say anxiety is the culprit here that I get to do battle with or I get to resolve in, my, in myself? Well, I've had it for a long time. So that's the thing I, I you know, and I, so one of the things was I was getting frustrated with just talk therapy. I don't have a, a strong belief that talk therapy alone hmm. is really that helpful in anxiety. I think that the, the programs that we run are unconscious and deep and just talking to them only affects them in a sort of a tangential superficial kind of way. Hmm. So you'll feel a little better. But really what you have to do is connect with your body. And that's my big, that was my big thing is like, mm. is I, I really think that we have to connect with our body and that's where the healing comes from. Mm. You know, your body is, your body will never lie to you. You know, your brain lies to you all the time, mm. but your body never lies to you. But, but we're so used to being in this head up society that we give much more credibility to the left brain, analytical, linear, logical reasoning part of ourselves than we do the feeling part. And, you know, a lot of us are, and it's coming out at Christmas time now with, you know, people are starting to get really frustrated with how commercial Christmas is because people at their core really want to feel. And we're seeing more and more and more, especially when I look on Facebook, like every single, you know, five places on Facebook is someone wanting my money mm. on some level or other. 
you know, I've got a new product that, you know, polishes your dog or rinses your cat or whatever it is. And it's revolutionary and it's the best. So we get used to looking at each other, you know, in this superficial transactional kind of way. And as human beings, we're not meant to, to interact in a transactional kind of way. So that's what happens is we're meant to interact in this sort of person to person. We have this social engagement system in our brain, and our body that, that responds to tone of voice, uh, facial language. I mean, the only place in your body where the muscles are, are direct, directly affixed to, your, to the skin is your face. That's the only place. And that's because we can transmit emotion. We can be, hey, happy or sad or whatever. And we're losing that. And our kids are losing that because basically all they're doing all day is they're on their screens all day. And they're not getting that person to person, face to face contact. You know, when I was younger and I was playing road hockey with my friends, if I scored the winning goal, you know, we're tied, it was overtime. You know, I score the winning goal. I'm really happy. They look at my face. They see that I'm really happy. They read their own body language through me. Um, through this social engagement system of the brain. And that's how it matures. Mm. But our kids now aren't maturing the social engagement system in their in their brain and their body. And what happens is they, they can't handle trauma because they've never learned how to mature that part of them that actually soothes themselves, mm. that actually allows them to calm down. So, you know, I know I'm going off on a bunch of different tangents here and you're, you're really good at actually, you know, sort of getting stuff out of people. And I love that about you. So, so, you know, it, it is really, it's an emotional life that we live and, and, you know, you can do all the thinking in the world. And I know a lot of people who have a lot of money who are stuck in their heads who just don't enjoy life. So it, it really is that, that, that personal connection that we have. And I see a lot of people having a hard time giving love to themselves. Like we're in this society now. And then, like, I've had so many patients, clients, whatever you want to call them say, I don't know if I can love myself. Like, I really don't. I said, well, you seem to love your dog a lot, mm-hmm. you know, so you clearly have the capacity to do that. Your friends clearly seem to love you. Like when they, when they come to you with a problem, you're very kind and, and generous with your time with them. So clearly you have it in you. So there's, it's not that you can't do it. It's just that you won't do it. Mm-hmm. You won't give it to yourself. That, and that's and that's a huge issue for people. When we when we won't give it to ourselves, then we have a huge amount of anxiety, and everything just sort of spills over from there. So how do we how do we get started on this journey of if we're way out in in the left field, logical field, quote unquote, yeah. and coming back to loving ourselves, connecting with that that inner child? How do we do that? Well, I, I tell people to get into the moment, which is get into sensation. You know, mm. rub your fingers together. Put your hand on your chest. You know, I get people and a guy in the uh, the other day who was 32 now, but when he was 12, his, his parents divorced. And he said the, the worst memory of that was I came around the corner and I saw a for sale sign on my lawn. And that was the first indication. I knew my parents weren't getting along, but that was a real indication. And I said, I really remember distinctly the Remax, the, 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 the realtor's name, even the phone number, like he, all the stuff got burned into his, into his brain. And I said, well, you have to go back and you have to talk to that 12 year old, you know, as the 32 year old you are now say, you know, how did you feel when you came around the corner and you saw that there was a for sale sign on your door and wait and listen and really listen to what he says. And it's a skill talking to your younger self. It really is. A lot of people say, oh, you know, I have a hard time doing it and I don't, I don't blame them because we've been pushing that younger self down for so long 
now that we're allowing them a chance to kind of come up, it's kind of like, they're like, I don't know if this is safe or not. Mm. So going in through sensation, answer your original question, you know, putting your hand on your chest, finding that place in your heart. And that's what I said to him. I said, well, when you saw that sign, where did you feel it in your body? And he said, well, I had this sort of sensation in my kind of lower chest. And I said, was it sharp or dull? He said, it was sharp. Was it hot or cold? He said, it was like kind of a burning sensation. And was it like a pressure or was it sort of, he said, yeah, it was a pressure sensation. It was kind of like this crystalline sharp thing. It's like, put your hand on that area and really take some time and really feel that and see what comes up and and don't take your and this is the other thing i say don't take your your brain's first offer because often it's your ego trying to explain this away like oh this is silly this is ridiculous you know you're not getting anywhere you can't talk to them just wait you know and we're so impatient you know and it, you know it's just it's the way our society moves is it moves so quickly now that it moves so fast that it leaves the body behind and the brain is the only thing to keep up with the, the speed of society and when we lose, when we stop slowing down, when we stop getting into stillness and we stop getting into the moment, we stop getting into sensation. And that's why I say get into sensation because sensation, you have to sit, you have to sense in the moment. I can't say tomorrow at, you know, 1245, I'm probably going to go for a peak, right? <laughs> like you have to sense in the moment. Yeah. And then when you get into sensation, when you put your fingers together, when you rub your chest, when you're in sensation, that brings you into the moment. The other thing it does is when 100% of your mind was going into all these repetitive, intrusive thoughts, now maybe half of it is thoughts and half of it has now devoted, half of your brain is now devoted to sensation. So you've broken that cycle a little bit and you've also shown your brain that you can break that cycle. But it's just taking more and more time. And here's a really important point. Like people say, you know what, I want to learn how to meditate. So they sit down for 10 minutes and and, and their, their brain's going a million miles an hour. It's really uncomfortable. And they're going to blow their brains out. They're, they're, it's, it's not. It, and then you're going to develop this aversion yep. to meditation. I did it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's like you know. So so do you know? This is what I say. Do two minutes mm. focusing on your breath, mm. two to three times a day for two to three weeks. Mm. You know. So two minutes. Set your watch or iPhone or whatever it is for two minutes. You know. Sit there and just focus on your breath, and it's going to go in and out. And people say, "Oh, I can't keep my." I can't keep my thoughts. You know, I'm really terrible at this. It's like the idea is that your brain will drift and it's good that it drifts because then you're teaching it to come back. It's not so much that it drifts away. It's that you pull it back. So it's, it's just being quiet, you know, and and we're just, we're just losing that. We're losing that ability. And then the more, the more you can tune into that, the more you can tune into yourself and the more you can tune into other people. And the more you can expand your own horizons, you know, you can, and then you can see what you really want as opposed to what you think you want. Yeah. I thought I wanted to be a doctor and medical school on some levels was the best thing that ever happened to me and the worst thing that ever happened. To me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So because when I was trying to get in, it was like it was all encompassing. And then uh, when I got in, it was really difficult. This is great. Uh, I, I think a lot of people can do something that's super practical like that. Um, two to two minutes of meditation, two to three times a day, two to three weeks. And just to get it like even more practical, if someone if you, someone listening or watching right now, if you have anxiety, if you feel like you're not able to meditate, if that's not something that you are confident in or it feels like I can't do it, all the more reason to do it, number one. But number two, like 
figure out what is your support system, what is your uh, actualization system for this goal. If it's putting it in your calendar, if it's putting alarms on your phone, if it's sending a message to Russell and saying, hey, like I'm, I want to do this, I want to I want to try this, I want to practice this, I think I'm going to screw it all up, but I'm going to go for it. That is the initial step. Get over your, your own self criticism, your own blocking yourself to, to be able to access this, this gift and ask for that help, put something in place so that you can actually go do the thing. And the other great thing that, that I tell people to do is, is when they're stressed out or even when they're not stressed out, it's just asking yourself, am I safe in this moment? Like in this moment that I'm in right now, like a lot of people say, I wake up in the middle of the night, sound like Trump there. A lot of people are saying, no, it's, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people tell me like they wake up in the middle of the night, three or four in the morning and all your defenses are down at that point. So they feel this tremendous anxiety and then they worry about things. The thing about anxiety is it's always about the future. Like it's mm. all, your worry is always about the future. You're, you're mentally teleporting yourself into the future. Mm. So when you say to yourself, am I safe in this moment? I know that I'm, my heart's racing and my, my gut's churning and that sort of stuff. But in this moment, really, if I look around, am I safe? And 99 times out of 100, you are safe. And it's just really realizing that you are safe. And you can say that to yourself any time am i safe in this moment and almost always you are safe in that moment and for some people it's the first time they've actually recognized that they're safe because people with anxiety tend to jump from one trauma to the next trauma to the next trauma because as you said earlier it's the devil they know they're so used to being anxious and, and living on that sort of high strung timber that that's familiar for them and the thing about human beings is we equate what's familiar in childhood to what's secure. Mm. So if you had a chaotic childhood, a lot of the times you will seek out as an adult chaos to replicate that old familiarity because there's an unconscious program that familiarity is security. So I get people to just say, am I safe in this moment? Like five times, 10 times, 15 times a day. Mm. And then you start learning, hey, you know what? I am safe. As opposed to this pervasive underlying feeling that I'm not safe, that something could come out and get me at any time, which for a lot of people with childhood trauma, that's what that's what the reality was, yeah. that, that someone could they, they could come home and their father could be like psychotically depressed or their mother could be completely drunk. You know, like that was the reality. So we replaced we, 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 what Freud called it, the repetition compulsion. We, we put ourselves back into that same mindset because we perceive that when it was familiar as a child, so it must be okay. And it's the opposite. So when you say, am I safe in this moment, you really draw attention to the fact that you are safe. And for some people, that's the first time they've ever done it. So I want to, for everyone who's listening or watching right now, take a second to answer that question. We'll, we'll give you a space of silence, about five seconds. Are you safe in this moment? And hopefully your answer was yes. And if it wasn't yes, like let's get you some some real help and uh, get you out of whatever situation that you're in. Uh, but most of the time it's going to be yes. And let's keep building upon that yes. And Russell, one of the things that I, I really love is talking about more of the science aspect of it and just kind of like what's going on in our body when this is happening so that people can just know, hey, what in my biology, why why does this keep happening? And so something I've, I've learned is that our body wants to continue to perpetuate something that it already knows, like the chemicals it releases in the body, like are saying, hey, I know stress, I know anxiety, so I'm going to keep releasing these chemicals to be able to like maintain that because 
because that's that's what I know. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that or, or what we need to know around that? Yeah, I mean, it really comes down to, and this is my theory of anxiety at all. I don't believe that anxiety is 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 mind-based as much as it is body-based, mm. right? So I believe what happens to a lot of us when we're younger is we have vulnerability or trauma that's too much for us to bear. And it could, you know, you I was just born sensitive. Like there's some people that can, there's some kids that I've seen that took a tremendous amount of trauma, like a parent died or there was a huge divorce and all that kind of stuff. And they seem to do okay. And there's other people, uh, kids that I saw in my practice where their 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 pet died and they completely went into anxiety for in, right through their teenage years, eating disorders, the whole bit. So it depends on what level of sensitivity that you have initially. But what I believe is that that we only we can only handle so much trauma as a child. And mentally we can integrate and only so much and then when there's too much trauma that it's almost like a cup and it overflows and that overflow flows into the body mm -hmm. and then it resonates from that point of the body until you actually deal with it mm -hmm. so i believe that a lot of what anxiety really is is this focus of alarm in the body which is kind of like what most people call fight or flight mm -hmm. so your autonomic nervous system has the parasympathetic which is rest and digest and the sympathetic which is fight or flight but what happens to us in children, if we have a lot of uncertainty in childhood, is that sympathetic fight or flight doesn't, doesn't flow back into rest and digest again. It stays in fight or flight, and it stays vigilant, and that stays in our body. And this is the same with uh, combat veterans when they come back from Afghanistan and Iraq. Um, when they're used to, you know, they could be killed at any moment, their body takes that on. When they come back home, consciously, they know that they're okay, they're not gonna be killed, but their body is still running that old program. And and that and your, your mind is a compulsive, meaning-making, make-sense machine. So it, re, it constantly reads your body. So if there's this alarm stored in your body, your mind has to make sense of that. So it will look around, and if you're not, if you don't see anything that's causing your, that's, that's causing you alarm or, or that is threatening you, your mind has to make something up. To, to be consistent with the feeling in your body. And that's where worry comes from. So we get we get this feeling in our body that, that's housed there, and then we just constantly worry because it seems to make sense of this feeling. And I'll give you an example. So if you're if you're at the edge of a cliff, mm -hmm. right? Your body's gonna go into this sense of alarm. Sure. And there is this kind of consistency with that. Like I'm at the edge of a cliff, so my body is like feeling like this is not very safe for me. Mm -hmm. But what if you're just, you know, walking your dog or you're sitting on the bus and you have that same feeling that you're standing at the edge of a cliff? Because that's what these combat veterans have. Yeah. So they have to make you have to make sense of that. So when you're standing at the edge of the cliff, what makes sense is that you're standing at the edge of a damn cliff. So of course your body's going to feel like that. But if I'm sitting on the bus or I'm sitting at home watching TV or you know on Facebook or whatever, and I have that same feeling, my mind, what's my mind going to do with that? Whatever's like it's got to make sense of it. The closest thing that it can it, worry about. It, and, and then, and but what it does is we all have our greatest hits of what we're worried about from our childhoods <laughs> or whatever. So what happens is typically. When we feel that thing in our body, we'll go back to our greatest hits. What's, what's your greatest fear? Like becoming mm -hmm. sick or mm -hmm. losing a parent or whatever. You'll come back to a version of that. Your mind, which is incredibly you know, imaginative, will make up a story. And we've all made up stories when we're in alarm. That just later on, like three hours later, when you're out of alarm, you think, that made no sense at all. Like that really made no sense at all. Or we act, we react with our partner. You know, we blow up because I know I remember once... Uh, 
my wife, because I have two stepsons, and uh, she made two sets of mashed potatoes. One of them was taken out of the fridge uh, and just heated up, and one of them was made fresh. And she gave the fresh ones to to the kids, the boys, and she gave me the old ones, you know, which tasted just the same. But I had a little freak out in my head, like, why did they get the new ones? Why did they? And clearly, it was some, it was a something from my past where. You know, my brother got something that I didn't, and that it's wow. it's an old pattern because. And I called it out at the time. I said, "This is clearly way over the top." <laughs> you know? And and here's another thing that that I tell people too is any overreaction, any overreaction that you have is an age regression. Mm-hmm. Any overreaction that you do, like if you freak out about something, you've regressed back to the age that that originally happened to you. Mm-hmm. You know, so it's just realize that when I'm freaking out, I'm six years old or, you know, I'm 12. Like like my uh, my client the other day, I'm 12 years old. And I just saw a sign saying that my house is up for sale. Mm-hmm. Like that's where we go back to. Mm-hmm. And we and we have the same emotional capacity at that point as we would have as a 12 year old who just saw a sign on their front lawn saying our house is up for sale. Mm-hmm. So you can't expect people to be, you know, rational and and and, and connected when they're in their survival brain. And so going back to your original question about, you know, I, I do believe this alarm is stored in our body. And it's and one of the treatments that they're using now with uh, combat veterans is this, what they call stellate ganglion blocks. So what they'll do is uh, modern medicine, again, um, is they'll put a needle in your neck. They'll freeze what's called the stellate ganglion, which is the, the main pathway that transmits information, fight or flight information from the body to the brain. And within about 30 seconds, this was on 60 Minutes Australia, within about 30 seconds, these guys are completely calm, completely relaxed. They go home. The family say, you know, he's not drinking anymore. He's coming down for dinner. He's walking the dog. He's making jokes like he's back again. Mm -hmm. Right now, slowly it tends to come back. Mm -hmm. But what happens uh, was that they blocked all that fight or flight that was coming up from the body that was lodged there. And now the mind is actually clear. Mm -hmm. So if you clear the alarm in the body, the mind will just naturally heal itself. Mm. But if you chronically have this feeling in your body, if you have this old trauma that's locked in your body, it's just going to keep reflecting through your mind. And I think the, the, what I don't like about the medical model is they assume that anxiety, depression, that kind of stuff is in your head. And mm. there's no doubt that there's a, there's a mind component to it. Absolutely. Positively. No doubt about it. But the source of it, the ultimate source of it, I believe is lodged in the body. If you deal with the body, then the mind gets better. If you deal with the mind, you get a little better, but there's no long lasting thing. And, and that's what most of the, the data suggests from talk therapy is it's helpful initially, mm-hmm. but over the course of a year, people tend to go back to the same point of anxiety or they're worse. So I know I'm talking a lot. I should let you it's say great. No, it's great. I love it. You're, you're pouring out wisdom, man. I, I really I appreciate it. And I love uh, the example you used of if we are able to cut off that fight or flight response, then like when we do that, we go back to normal. We go back to being a, a great, great human being, fun, making jokes. I think that's yep. that's super important to be aware of is when we focus on this one point of differentiation, everything changes. So being able to access the body and free ourselves of that fight or flight response that has been stored is really, that's that's like the holy grail for a lot of people's traumas, suffering, continued uh, emotional outbursts, which I think it can even seem logical for a lot of people. Well, he deserved it. Well, he was he was doing this per- thing or she was she was being a jerk or she was gossiping or you know whatever it might be. And so to be able to, focus on it rationally with a a mature and responsible healthy response i think that's something that is 
it's an interesting philosophy. How do we how do we get to that point? How do we know if we're being emotionally reactive or we're responding resourcefully? Yeah, and I think you know, I think that's why yoga and qigong and those sort of things. You know, we have the somatosensory cortex in our brains too that gets active. We were made to move. You know, mm-hmm. and we're, we're we live in these sedentary jobs where we sit. And we, 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 you know, we move, you know, maybe five or 10 meters throughout the whole day. Mm-hmm. You know, we were meant to move. And that's why just about every place you, you read for a treatment for anxiety, depression, any sort of mental issue is exercise. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, and it's not, and you don't have to, you know, exhaust yourself. It's basically moving. One of the best things you can do is move with your breath. So that's why I love Qigong, because, yeah. you know, it's, it's this constant breath and movement at the same time. Mm. And that joins your system because ultimately, you know, anxiety is just a mind-body disconnect. It mm. really is. Your mind and your body are completely disconnected. So what the breath does and matching movement with your breath combines that together. So your mind and body are now acting in unison. Mm. And then you can really ground yourself. Because if your mind and body are split, how are you expected to be connected? How are you expected to have a sense of humor or whatever? Your you your body perceives that it's in a fight for its life. Mm. So and if you're being chased by a lion, you're not going to sit there and go, I, "I'd like to do an algebra problem now." <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work that way. You know, you can't be connected when you when you feel when your body feels it's in a fight for its life. It's very difficult, and I see that with a lot of people who have anxious partners, mm. you know, I said, like, sometimes I just lose them. I feel like they don't love me anymore or whatever, because they've lost that ability to be connected because they've moved into survival brain. And in survival brain, it's impossible to be connected because, mm. you know, from a primitive standpoint, when we go into alarm, when we go into survival brain, we're only concerned with our survival, you know, being loving, close and connected is, is considered, you know, death. Yeah. Because it's like if you start being loving, close, and connected when you're facing a, a life-threatening emergency, you're going to die. Yeah. So it is one of those things. And, and that's why I tell people who are partners with people with anxiety is they may fade out sometimes. Mm-hmm. They may go into what, what's called dissociation. They may not be able to meet your eyes. Mm-hmm. That social engagement system that's built into all of us for connection isn't, won't operate when you're in alarm. So the very thing that we need the most, which is human connection, to pull us out of anxiety, our brains won't allow us to do. So we have to manually take control of it, start you know, focusing on sensation, put your hand on your chest, focus on your breath, and really savor your breath. That's the thing. As a kid, I had asthma. So I remember what it was like when I couldn't breathe, like when I would have to go to the hospital and they would put these things on me and the relief that I felt when the, the ventral and mask hit me, you know, that I could, I could breathe, like just, just the, the benefit of just being able to breathe whenever you want is such a gift. And it's, and it's the only link that we have, our only conscious link to our autonomic fight or flight, rest and digest, parasympathetic, sympathetic nervous system is our breath. We can't control our heart rate. We can't control our blood pressure, but we can't control our breath. And one of the other things I like to say is when you're in anxiety, when you're in alarm, is that the anxiety is breathing you. Mm-hmm. Like it's breathing up here, shallow. Yeah. It's, breathing, it's breathing to serve itself. Mm-hmm. So once you take over, even if you hold your breath, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people say, well, if I'm anxious and I hold my breath, it's no, it, it's you're establishing, you're saying, you know, what bitches? I'm in control of my breath. <laughs> yes. Like I have, I, I'm controlling my breath now. You're not, you don't have it anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm controlling my breath. And then when you start doing that, you start just feeling more in control in general and savoring your breath. Because a lot of times 
we have this alarm that's in our body and it hurts. And, you know, we're trained, um, you know, from a primitive standpoint to pay attention to the area that's most intense. Hmm. So what we do is we focus on this area of pain and that just creates more pain typically. So if you transfer your attention and focus and energy and information flow to your breath, to something that's pleasurable, to or at least something that's neutral, and then kind of what they call in somatic experiencing training, um, pendulate back and forth between that pain in your chest, which is probably your inner child, and this, this glorious feeling of being able to breathe, then you kind of break its rhythm a little bit. Whereas if you're just focused on the pain and you just sit there and go, man, this hurts, this is terrible, you know, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. So with, I want to really ask, ask yeah. real quick with the breath, um, when we're breathing, what is happening with, with energy, with our cells, with our biology, with our body, like, cause certain traumas are stored in certain places. So how does breath yeah. and movement m- m- like release that stuck energy? What is, what is going on in there? What, what do we need to know about? A great that? question. Well, a lot of us, when we were younger felt immobilized by fear. Mm-hmm. So I'll give you an example from my own life when my father was really like really depressed and I didn't know whether or not he was going to kill himself or whatever. Um, I felt like I was, I I had to stay around the house. My mother was a nurse. She worked a lot. So I felt that I was held immobile in that house. Some people who are abused by their parent who are say like physically like spanked on a regular basis or physically assaulted or, or abused in some way are held are actually physically held down. So there is something in just movement that makes a big difference. So I notice people who are, you know, deep in anxiety freeze. Same with same with uh, depression. You know, you freeze. You don't want to. You don't even want to get out of bed. And I've been there. You don't. Yeah. You don't even want to get out of bed, yeah. right? Like it's. But the thing that's going to help you the most is actually creating a little bit of movement. But my God, is it difficult to do? But it is one of those things. And this is why I love um, uh, Mel Robbins when she does the the five second rule, yep. right? It's like, okay, five, four, three, two, one, I'm getting up and going to the shower. Or five, four, three, two, one, I'm going to get up and, and, and go get a glass of water. Yeah. Just that movement. And then once you're up, you know, just, just creating this sort of sense with your breath, like move with your breath. A lot of people say, well, take, take deep breaths in and out. Let's, well, move your body as well. I mean, you know, maybe at Whole Foods, you don't want to do this because you might look like a crazy <laughs> person. But, you know, but it, just in general, you know, just, just move. Like, like as you inhale, move your hands up. And then press it down. And then, one more. Now that will take you down quite a few pegs in your sympathetic fight or flight nervous system. So just learning how to do that, like I'm already kind of starting to zone out. (laughs) So, you know. So it's really important to incorporate movement and dance is really great. Music is really great. I mean, we're all energy. So it's vibration, you know, like, like put on songs that you like, like, why don't you, you know, but the reason why is our egos are really powerful. Our egos, like what you said earlier on is like the devil we know, right? So if we, if we are familiar with a sense of discomfort, we'll go back to that familiarity because we know, we know it. Yeah. You know, but it doesn't allow us to grow. And your theme is, you know, how do I grow? Well, you yeah. move. Yeah. You move. You yeah. physically move. You match your breath with your movement. And then you you just keep moving. Yeah. And and that makes a huge difference. You know, it really does make a huge difference when you when you allow yourself to move and you really relish and you really feel your body. 
you know, you get out of that head, you know, your head is, it's amazing the stuff that we've come up with in our minds, but we just use our minds far too much. The other thing that I look at, I look at sometimes is our children, you know, it used to be in the 1980s, the frame rates on cartoons would change every seven to eight seconds, you know, so, so you would see a scene for about seven or eight seconds, and then it would change to the next scene, the coyote would go off and do something else. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at cartoons, the frame rates change in every less than two seconds. So we're teaching our kids to think really, 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 really fast, which keeps us off balance, which in a, in a, you know, a consumer driven society, when we're off balance, we tend to buy more shit. Stuff. <laughs> Stuff. That so. Now that yeah. I'm not a doctor anymore, I can swear. So, <laughs> so it is one of those things, you know, and the more off balance we are, the better it almost is for mm. to be controlled. Yeah. So the more in control you are of your own body and, and the more in control you're in your mind. So my, my main message is go at it from your body first. There's nothing wrong with talk therapy. I think talk therapy is brilliant. I'm not against talk therapy. People have said that to me. Like, are you against? It's like, no. But I, what I am against is talk therapy alone. Mm-hmm. And I used to have this joke that I used to do on stage, which is, say you have a leak in your house. Mm-hmm. And a plumber comes by every week, and he charges you 200 bucks, And the leak gets a little bit better. Five years later, that leak is just a little bit better. Will you keep paying that guy? <laughs> no. You know? It's the same thing with count- like with talk therapy counseling. Like if, yeah. you, if you go to a counselor and you've been to that counselor for five years and you're not a whole lot better, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe it's time to start introducing a different type of therapy. And, and the counselors are getting better at, at, at really starting to introduce the body. Like my wife is a somatic trauma therapist. And so she's just uh, finished her somatic experience and training. So all of it, mostly all of her work is going in through the body. Like, you know, think about when your mother died and where do you feel that in your body? And how does it how does it manifest in your body? Because chances are that's the energy that you have to heal. The, your thoughts around it are secondary, just like with the stellate ganglion blocks. You know, your thoughts are secondary. The primary problem is dealing with the body and getting your body regulated first. Because then it's so much easier to work with the mind. And in the, the stellate ganglion blocks, what they do with the, the, the combat vets is it makes therapy so much, so much more effective. When they're not fighting a fire, trying to trying to talk about you know the com- the combat situation and 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 be able to be able to rationally look at it. If your body's an alarm, and this is the other thing that I say, it's like if you're in anxiety, it's like your house is on fire. Mm. So if your house is on fire, you're not going to solve it with more thinking. You're not going to put the fire out from inside the house. Nope. You got to get outside the house into your body mm. and then look back at the house and go, okay, now I'll, I'll, I'll put the fire out and then I'll start thinking. And so many modalities try and get you to think, like when I was saying earlier, they try and get you to think and, and reason and, and be rational when you're in alarm, when you're in survival break. And so you don't have the, you lose blood flow to the parts of your brain that are actually going to absorb this information. Mm. So you're trying to teach somebody, you know, calculus when they don't even understand algebra, which is a bad analogy, actually. I should come up with a better one than that. <laughs> but it, it is one of those things that if you don't have the brain, the, the brain um, real estate in your brain, to 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 handle these or take in these suggestions Mm. you're certainly not going to be able to do it when you're stressed so it's calming the body first finding out where it is in the body dealing with that and then kind of going back and once your body's regulated then dealing with the thoughts of the mind yeah and to progress the theme of today to be able to progress we have we get to feel like we are empowered we we have our 
our uh, ability to succeed at whatever it is that we want to go. We believe in ourselves. We, we have self-efficacy, uh, I believe is the, the term. Like We believe that we are effective at whatever we're going for. And if we are feeling like we're out of control, if we are stressing out, if we feel like we're anxious, then we are not able to do that and it will keep reinforcing that, that pattern. So really what you're teaching is for people to get their power back, for people to, to be able to go where you want to go. And if you want to do that, first, it's like to stop the hamster wheel, stop the momentum, the, the crazy momentum that whatever's going on in someone's life, pause, get back into this body, get back into feeling things so that you can tune into your, your GPS, your greatest possible self, have clarity on where you want to go, and then set out empowered on fulfilling on that vision and that dream. Yeah. Because if the problem is here, you know, if you've got some wounding, if you've got some old traumas from a breakup or a parent that died or a divorce or whatever, the trauma is held here. Mm. And you're up in here all the time. You know, you're, you're, you're on First Street trying to build a house on Third Street, but you're on First Street. So you're not actually in the same area anyway. You're not going to make any difference. So you have to get to the area. You have to go to Third Street. You have to go into the body, find out where it is, and then deal with it. Hmm. But if you're, if you're up here and the problem's here, this never gets dealt with. So, and I, and I think that's really, and that's where therapy is going to go. And I think over the next 10 years, what's going to happen with psychiatry is they're going to, they're going to deal with a lot more psychedelics. They're going to use psilocybin. They're going to use maybe LSD to some point, um, ayahuasca unlikely, but, but they're going to use psychedelics because basically what that does is it bypasses the ego, you know? So it, that, that ego protection that, that protects us from love. Because that's really what stops us from growing. And, and your theme here is, 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 you know, empowering yourself and moving forward mm -hmm. is, you know, love is what makes you move forward. Mm -hmm. You know, you can do all the schooling, all the teaching, all, all the stuff that you want. Mm -hmm. But unless you learn to love and, and connect with yourself, it's not going to help. Mm -hmm. It's not going to help. And if you do do it like I did, you know, I was a pretty good medical doctor. Um, and I was pretty, you know, I felt that I was pretty connected. I had a really good relationship with my, my patients. But it never really felt like it came from the heart. You know, it never really felt like it was like, this is truly me. I always felt like I was an imposter in some way, even though I, you know, kind of won awards when I graduated. I was president of the graduating class and all this sort of stuff. I still felt like a fraud because I wasn't connecting from this sense of love. I was connecting from this sense of I'm the doctor and I'm in this role. And I'm assuming this role is going to give me this sense of security, this intellectual role. When it wasn't, it had to come from my heart. And until I, you know, retired from medicine, uh, it wasn't until then that my intuitive gifts kind of came along and I started to really be able to really truly help people. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, I feel like an anxious life is very constricted, disempowered. And when you're trying to live, like to please other people, to please society, to be enough, you pretzel yourself up and you're in this like disempowered, contracted state. And like, I have to do it. I have to do it. I have to do yeah. it. But when you get back into your body and you create that freedom, now you have space. Now you're able to see and access your different gifts, like your intuition, like these other abilities and, and say, okay, so this is what it feels like to love myself. This is what it feels like to be free. This is what it feels like to be the creator of my reality. And I think that's what we all want. We all want to be free. We all want to be um, successful successful at whatever it is that we are doing. And I think the greatest form of success is just being at home with ourselves and not needing to get somewhere, not needing to prove or validate or anything like that, but just being and loving this present moment. And it's so hard because society, especially social media, 
you know, divorces us from ourselves. You know, one of the my favorite statements on social media is don't compare your inside life to their outside life. Mm. You know, mm. so, you know, when you see someone in Hawaii and, you know, they're doing all this stuff and then don't compare their outside because you have no idea how happy they are inside or outside. Mm. And one of the things I get people to do, and it's very rare that anyone will do this uh, for any length of time is go to the mirror and look at yourself and and tell yourself the things you like you know mm. as, as as corny as it sounds mm. you know and sometimes i get people to make a list before they get up to the mirror because when you get <laughs> in the mirror you freeze but i do believe that when you when you look at yourself in the mirror that you are speaking directly into your emotional brain which is mm. where a lot of these old programs are stored yeah. so you know for 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 me for my like i said i really love i go up to the mirror and i say i love your sense of humor i love the fact that you know um like, and my son will say, you know, uh, why don't you do, do Schwarzenegger? We'll be at the dinner table. It's like, do Schwarzenegger. And I'll go, oh, I said, uh, open, open the door. There's a bomb in there. You know? <laughs> so it's just, it's, it's fun. Like it's really, it's, it's, it, and it's just, it, and the other thing that we're losing is play. Like play really connects us to ourselves. And, and Dr. Gordon Neufeld is a developmental psychologist and one of my mentors. You know, he's really huge on how play rewires your brain better than therapy, better than sitting in a therapist's office, better than yoga, better than Qigong. Like play is what opens up our brain. And then mm. if you look at the latest scans, now I've read this, I don't know if this is actually true, but if you look at a depressed brain on, on a, a scan and you look at a, a brain on play, the exact opposite structures are lit up wow. like it's almost like a mirror image yeah. so it's kind of like we get back to our play because our play is what connects us to ourselves that's what we were like when we before we went through these traumas before we got into the world so you know that thing about going to the mirror and and i guarantee you um maybe one one tenth of one percent of people do it because it's incredibly uncomfortable yep <laughs> incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable to go in the mirror and just just i do it when i'm brushing my teeth you know yeah. Like, I like the fact that, you know, I like my, I got my stepsons about six years ago. Mm -hmm. Like when I married Cynthia, I have a, he's 21 now. And then the other one's 15 now. So, you know, I, I'm really grateful for those guys. So it's a matter of, cause I had a daughter, like I have a daughter and then I have a, one grandchild and another grandchild coming next month. Mm -hmm. So it's, I'm really grateful for the experience of, of actually being able to raise a boy. Mm -hmm. You know, because he played basketball, we play guitar together every night. Like it's 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 really a true gift that I have with him, and I really relish that too. And I think that we don't we don't relish the good so much. We're always trying to get somewhere, you know. And I think, you know, and, and this gets said all the time. It's like you're already there, and it's like yeah, yeah, all right, whatever. And it, I don't want to I want to swear because it is frustrating when you hear that. Everything you everything you need to know is already inside of you. It's like yeah, 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 yeah. I sound like Doctor Evil there. Everything, or, or yeah, everything you know is already inside of you. <laughs> but it is, it is really, but really, it is that making that connection with yourself yeah. is really like that's your life's work. It really is, and a lot of us, like you know, I'm in my fifties now. Like a lot of us don't figure this out. So if I had any message for for people, it's like slow down, mm. take some stillness, get to know your body, and get to it. You know, really focus on accepting and loving yourself, mm. and and and. If you can't love yourself, go back to a time in your life that was really stressful. If you were being bullied or your parents were going through a divorce and actually talk to that part of you that went through that and said, it must have been really hard for you to see that for sale sign. It must have been really hard for you when the other kids were bullying you. It must have been really hard for you 
because that's a way rather than sort of sitting in front of a, a mirror, Stuart Smalley, like, you know, you're wonderful. Everyone loves you and gall darn it, that kind of thing, you know, really connect with that part of you through a trauma because it is a way of connecting. And not a lot of people talk about this. A lot of people say, well, talk to your inner child. It took me probably three years to really develop a relationship with that part of me to be able to have a, a conversation. And I still have a hard time. So it is one of those things where it's not like, okay, I'm just going to talk to my inner child today, but making that compassionate connection with, with a trauma that, that you went through when you were younger and saying to yourself, you know, that must've been so hard when those kids were teasing you every day and you had to go back to school every day and listen, like, and just listen. And all the, also the trust, right? That that little yeah. six-year-old or whatever age, they probably don't trust the older you because we have, like, we've been doing things that have denied them, that have cut them off, that have shunned them, that have shamed them, that have like just totally given them the cold shoulder and, and disconnected ourselves from them. So there's a lack of trust from that being, from that presence, from that, that aspect of ourselves. And so to just say, hey, I'm here to grow the relationship and start with that intention saying... I've treated you like shit. I'm sorry. You know, I'm yeah. sorry I wasn't there for me. I'm, I'm sorry. And just like be honest about our relationship with these aspects of ourselves. And I think that that vulnerability, that transparency and authenticity, because I mean, nobody else has to know this, but if you can go in there and be real with yourself, that's that's the first step, in my opinion, to starting to love yourself or at least starting to like yourself again, building that relationship. And that's a fantastic point. It really is. Because, you know, um, a lot of times we have, push that thing down when you're saying being seen heard and loved you know if you don't feel it but also realize that the, the reason why you became separate from yourself was due to some sort of trauma it's not your fault specifically it was a coping mechanism you know just like people with anxiety anxiety is a coping mechanism. is a hyper vigilant state where you're always worried about what's going to happen because you think that if you worry about something you're somehow protected against it mm -hmm. and Brene Brown talks about this too she talks about foreboding joy right? Like I can't allow myself to feel joy because I'm afraid that it's going to get pulled away from me. So just realize and, you know, tell your, your younger self that, you know, I'm sorry, I, I, I wasn't as good as connecting with you. But, you know, a lot of it was because that we went through this trauma together. Yeah. And, and it, it, it comes in where, you know, part of you sort of separates and then you come back to yourself. And, and, and it is this sort of amorphous, like there is no such thing as your inner child specifically. It's all, all you. But it is making this connection with this younger part of yourself and just realizing that you're innocent. You know, there's no, the, you know, the shame that we carry. There's nothing you've said, done or, 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 or perpetuated that hasn't been done millions of times by people before you and millions of times after you. So we hold this shame and the shame locks us in anxiety because we don't want to bring it up. But your shame is actually an opportunity to connect with yourself. It's a, it's a signpost. It's a beacon. Like, look at where your shame is, and that's where you most need to connect with yourself. Man. Russell, this is, this is gold, man. I've had such a blast in this conversation. Really practical tips for people to do to get that, that peace back, to connect with their breath, to connect with their body again. And I know this is just the tip of the iceberg of what people get when they work with you, man. So tell us a little bit more about how they can take those next steps with you. What's the ways they can get in contact with you, man? Well, just Google the anxiety MD. You know, I don't do a whole lot of one-on-one -on -one stuff anymore, okay. but I do have a YouTube channel that has a lot of information. I have an Instagram page that has a lot of information and that kind of stuff too. So if you just Google the anxiety MD, make sure you put the in there, the anxiety MD, all my like YouTube, Facebook, all that kind of stuff comes up. And what I am creating right now is um, I trained in hypnosis as well as medicine. So mm -hmm. I'm creating what these 
called hypno meditations. Yeah. So basically what I do is they're recorded, they're MP3s, and they take you through a hypnotic induction and then they come out of hypnosis, but they leave you with a meditation and behind all of that is binaural beats. So mm. it gets your brain into this alpha rhythm. So you really accept the suggestions that I give to you about connecting with yourself and that kind of thing too. So those will be out in the new year, but just check my, my website is theanxietymd.com. But if you just Google the anxiety MD, you'll find me. And I really like my, the main reason I do this is because I don't want people to have to suffer like I did. I went through like 30 years of anxiety and, and I, it wasn't until I really started focusing on the body that I really started to get better. And then I was really able to truly help other people. And I just see so many people and, and so much of North America is this, um, you know, uh, psychotherapy, psychiatry, medication, and that kind of stuff, which is fine in its own right, but it's not, you're not getting at the underlying problem. And I really realized that after 30 years. So my whole thing is to change the perspective. My book comes out, The Anxiety Rx comes out in uh, April of 2020. So please buy that. That will give you all the information you need to heal from anxiety. I love it. I love it, man. And um, I really thank you for what you're doing because a lot of people don't even know that they are experiencing anxiety, stress, overwhelm. They're just high functioning, like yeah. coping, like addicts. Right? Totally. Just, totally. So I, I just totally. appreciate you bringing the light of uh, awareness to this conversation, man, so that people can take better actions and, and really start to love themselves and, and be their greatest possible selves, Russ. I, I super appreciate you, man. Thank you. And I appreciate you, man. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for, you know, sort of putting this energy out into the world because it it really does it makes a huge difference you know like I, I hear from people that that you know I text message five years ago you know so you never know what what comes back so you know kudos to you as well for putting this out into the world because it, it really does make a difference Thank you, I appreciate you Thanks, see you man. soon okay okay bud from the bottom of my heart thank you for tuning in right now we've reached the end of this episode but this is the start of a whole new beginning each and every moment, you have an opportunity to rewrite your story. Right here, right now, decide and commit who you are going to be. Think about how you will use these ideas, wisdom, and inspiration to make the difference in your life. What actions will you take today and every day to step into your greatest possible self? Again, a big shout out to our sponsor, EmployeeEscapePlan.com. If you're committed to learning how to truly harness your abilities and passions to serve the people who are hungry and desperate for what you have to offer, make a great income off of your genius, or if you're ready to get more clients to pay you more money, head over to www.EmployeeEscapePlan.com and let Joe know you were sent by Chris. Did you enjoy this episode? Let your friends know about it. Share the website, beyourgps.com, and send me some love on social media. If you want to clarify your vision, uncover blind spots, get more energy, tap into your flow, and take massive action, head over to beyourgps.com forward slash coaching to schedule some time into my calendar. Now, Master yourself, create your reality, and make every day your best day ever. <laughs>